It's kind of a weird day because oftentimes it's just backloaded with uh, sometimes really joyful memories, sometimes uh, painful memories. But I'll tell you what, on purpose or by default, uh, dads impacted our lives. Uh, they do. I mean, at every level, there's an, an impact from a heart of a father somewhere. It was kind of God's plan. I don't know if you realize that, but, but his intention was to let that role of a father impact our lives. In fact, I would be even so bold as to tell you that in regards to the family, I believe that the family is, I think it's the most powerful institution on the planet. I think that the family is, is literally one of the most powerful institutions on the, fam, uh, on the planet. A, a wife is really probably the most influential, and, and a dad, literally, I think he's the most, that position is really the most powerful of all. It sounds kind of weird because you feel like, well, what about, isn't there a balance between the, the others? Do you know God's plan was that way? God's plan was that the role of a father would be a really heavy, weighty role. He was. And, and some even hearing that this morning feel a little bit robbed. Some of you are mourning the loss. So, some of you feel um, maybe you're mourning the loss of your own fathering and feeling like you wish you could go back and turn back the hands of time. I'll tell you this. I, I want you to know I'm really glad you're here today. The role of a dad in, father, in this whole fathering thing is powerful. And you may not believe it. You may think, Lance, you're just blowing hot air. You may think, Lance, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't have to believe when I say that the role of a father is the most powerful position on the planet. You don't have to believe any of that. But I can tell you, if you walked with me for one week in my shoes, and you stood beside me, and you heard the pain in the hearts of people, you heard the, the, the times I've spent time unpacking some people's lives, and they tell me about the powerful position of a father because of that which was wrought on their lives. Oh, it's powerful, trust me. You might get this. You don't even have to believe me. But you know who you can believe, right? You can believe the devil, the enemy. He, he knows that the position is powerful. He knows the position of a father is powerful. How do I know that? Because he's been contorting and twisting and trying to re-identify and trying to, to change the role of a father for, well, a long time. Turn on your TV. I mean, it doesn't take long for a dad to look silly and dumb and foolish. But I'll tell you, there's something about this role of a dad that, that, that if we were to get a hold of, if we were to see it is, if, if dads would take up that mantle and say, this is what God has called me to, then, then I'll tell you what, there's things, some, some things would be different. Now, in a room like this or other people who are watching or listening to us online, there are people who have been hurt. There's people who have walked through pain. There's people who still deal with a lot of the pain and bitterness. Some of you even here today feel, well, numb towards the word Father. I don't blame you. But I can tell you, we serve a God who heals. We serve a God that can restore. We serve a God that can take that which was not alive and bring to life. I promise you. Now, now to all of you who, uh, in a room like this, there's always going to be somebody who is a single parent or a foster parent. And you come into these Mother's Day, Father's Day moments, and you just feel a little bit like, well, I'm doing more than one person is really to be honored for. And Sometimes they come to a church service and it feels a little awkward. And so to you, I want to say I honor you. And I would also tell you this, that those of you who are single parents or foster parents, that there's something about that role that you may or may not know, but there's a grace of God that can come on your child, whether you know it or not. I mean, those with biological kids in, in that whole scenario can't experience that kind of grace. But with somebody who was raised in a single parent home can experience that or a foster home. I only know that because for 
the early part of my life, my mom raised us as a single mom. Five kids trying to raise a single, it was a single mom. Let me tell you this, how we ended up here. My, that uh, it was a long time ago. My, my mom was trying to remove, remove us kids from a, an abusive situation. And so she, she found some poor unsuspecting dude who was just willing to drive a U-Haul truck and, and took him and her and five kids and stuck us in the front cab of a U-Haul truck and drove us from Phoenix to Washington with a manual transmission, right? No AC, right? Let me tell you this. I can tell you my mom is nuts, but she's my hero. Can you say thanks to my mom? Yay. There's a grace that God has for single parents, foster parents. There's a grace. I only know that because oftentimes in that kind of a scenario, God will bring about somebody who is a, a pastor, a mentor, a coach, a teacher. Somebody will come alongside and help. And somehow God just makes a way for that. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying that there's a grace that God can bring if you'll allow it to happen. But I'm really glad you're here today. Hmm. I want to talk to you this morning out of the book of Matthew. If you have your, your Bibles, open it up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We'll talk to you about a dad in the Bible that many of you are familiar with. In fact, most of you are familiar with. I want to talk to you about a dad in the Bible that didn't get a lot of PR and still doesn't get a lot of PR in, in the, uh, the, whole, the whole church narrative thing. He doesn't show up as a, a prophet, a king, a great leader, or, or any kind of a good orator. I mean, we don't see anything about this particular guy that sets him apart of other, other guys. There's some things we'll talk about today, but he's just a guy. I wish there were more about him in the Bible. There's, in fact, quite frankly, there's only just a few sentences written about this particular guy. We know he has a lineage that shows up in, in the Bible. So we know he, he, he came from a royal line, but he didn't show up walking around in robes in a kingdom. I want to talk to you today about a dad in the Bible who, he was a select dad. God chose this guy to be a dad. I'm going to tell you the great things about this guy as best I can. But there's something about this guy, and get this, God chose this dad, not just to be any dad, but he chose this dad to be a stepdad. I don't know if you realize that. There's a, in the Bible, there's a guy who's a stepdad. In fact, I think he's one of the greatest stepdads ever. God selected him to be a stepdad. We ever talk about stepdads or, men, or blended families in church. Why? I don't know. There, there's, there's, a, there's really a, an important one that shows up in your Bible. I don't know if you realize it. But the man I want to talk to you today about, the dad I want to talk to you today about, his name was Joseph. Jesus' stepdad. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus had a stepdad. It was Joseph. Sometimes we forget that. I mean, Joseph was a this stepdad over a blended family trying to figure it out. I guess the only upside was is that he was raising a perfect child. You know, I don't know. <laughs> that was more funny than you're letting me on to. <laughs> hmm. Can I just say this, by the way, those of you who are stepdads or stepmoms, on behalf of one who became a stepson, I just tell you this, I'm sorry. Right? On behalf of all stepkids, I'm sorry. Oftentimes, it was hard for us to figure out how to navigate the waters of having some other dude in our life. I'm just telling you, we're sorry. It wasn't easy for you. Thank you for doing what you did. Amen. Hmm. I want to talk to you about Joseph. The more I read about Joseph, the more I study about Joseph, the, the more I'm compelled to, 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 to want to honor him. The more I read about Joseph, I, the more I'm compelled to want to, to just know more about him. The, the more I want to be like him. I mean, he was a pretty amazing guy. I, 
the, the great thing, I mean, the truth of the fact, the fact of the matter is, is like God chose him among all men. God chose him among all men. God chose Mary among all women. He chose him among all men. Why? To, to raise Jesus. That's a big deal. And his influence over his son had something to do with influencing even us. Hopefully I can explain that today, but I'll tell you this. His, he was a really important guy. In fact, there's some things about Joseph that as I began to unpack his life and began to see the content of his character, and, and the more I wanted to be like him, the more I realized that there are characteristics about how he walked his life out that, that we all can look at and say we want to be more like. Some of you, that, let me just give you five characteristics of a really great dad. And maybe you're here today and you're not a dad or you've had a horrible experience with dad-ishness, whatever it was, giving or receiving. But nevertheless, you're here. I want to give you five characteristics of a, a great human being. Right? How to walk this thing called life out. Will you join me as we pray? God, thanks for today. Help us to see what you say and hear what you say. We love you and need you a bunch. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or whatever you got, turn it on, flip it open. Matthew chapter 1, down to verse 18. Matthew begins with this lineage of who Jesus was and where he came from. And in there, by the way, is Joseph, his stepdad. Here we go. It says this, now... This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as to not disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go ahead with this marriage to Mary. For this child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this happened to fulfill a message from the prophet Isaiah. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel told, commanded him to do, Mary, and he brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. Joseph then named him Jesus. Hmm. You know, most of us are familiar with that narrative because it's kind of the Christmas narrative. We're familiar with Joseph. We know of Joseph. Basically, all we know of Joseph is that, you know, uh, he fits in the manger scene, right? He's usually wearing brown. Mary's wearing blue. Jesus has a thing on his head. That's all we know, right? I mean, usually that's, come on, the, the manger scene you got. That's, that's really what shows up every year. He's kind of the part of the narrative, and we just put him there. Usually sits there, quiet, doesn't say anything. He's not doing much. It's just has his arm around Mary, right? That's all we really see of Joseph. And quite frankly, that's kind of the do we give him. Joseph, we'll talk about you, we'll acknowledge you, we'll make a deal about you, ah, sometime once a year. And we'll just, you know, you just show up in the manger scene. Joseph, who is Joseph? Now the Bible says that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And you've heard me talk about betrothal. Just in a nutshell, betrothal was kind of their version of an engagement Right? An engagement today, you just simply hand somebody a ring, and if it's broken off, you just give the ring back or throw it away or whatever you got. But it's easy to just cut off an engagement. Back in there, a betrothal was like, it was like uh, the first stage of marriage, minus uh, any physical contact. So they would get married, and to break a betrothal had to be a certificate of divorce. There had to be witnesses. There had to be people who had said, yes, there's reasons for this divorce, and then they could have it. So you couldn't just change your mind. So a betrothal would happen where two dads come together, and they would 
offer each other, you know, a couple of camels and a milkshake or whatever. And then the next thing you know, then the people would come together and they would say, hey, you're going to marry my daughter, you're going to marry my son. And then they would high five each other and take off. Right? And so what would happen is Mary would go back to her parents' house and kind of spend nine months to a year learning how to be a wife, a mommy, all the things that she was supposed to learn how as a woman in that season and that day. And then, then the husband, Joseph, would take off to his parents' house and he'd learn how to be a daddy and a husband. And then his job for the next nine to 12 months was to build an addition onto his father's house called the Ketubah. His job was to build a place, prepare a place for his family. That's what his job was doing. And you might think, what's the, why, why 9 to 12 months? Is there significance to that? Yeah, there is. There's significance to the 9 to 12 month period. Well, quite frankly, it was 9 to 12 months to, um, well, to kind of show there was no other reason for them to have to get married, if you know what I mean. It was 9 to 12 months to prove their, like, purity. It was 9 to 12 months because it's about the time a baby takes to be made. So they were trying to, that Jewish law said there had to be a 9 to 12 month hiatus from each other so that this thing could come together the way it was supposed to. And Joseph, of all, of all, of all people, knew that. This betrothal was underway. Everything was like he was going. Everything was underway just like it was supposed to be. He was doing his thing. She was doing her thing. And unbeknownst to him. Unbeknownst to him. I want to tell you five characteristics of a great dad that show up in the life of Joseph. Number one. Great dads honor God first. Great dads honor God first. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 says this. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly. Being a just man. A just man. In the Greek, the word just means righteous, virtuous, kept God's commands. Righteous, virtuous, or a keeper of God's commands. He was a virtuous guy. The Bible says Joseph was a follower of God. Joseph was a guy who, who walked in the ways of God. Now, you have to understand something in the context of this culture. This was a culture that for 400 years before this very moment, heavens had been silent on planet Earth. God had spoken back in the, the last chapter of the Old Testament, and there was a 400-year period of time of silence from heaven. That was going on when Joseph and Mary actually got betrothed. That was a, Joseph had no good reason to be a follower of God because 400 years, God didn't say anything. All he had was tradition. All he had was what it was. And, and, and Joseph was one of those people who remained faithful to following God. Joseph was one of those guys who said, I'll continue to walk in the ways of God, to follow the ways of God, to know the ways of God, and he did it. So much so that God picked him among all men as one who was just or righteous or virtuous. You ever wonder what God would say of, well, us? If God was going to pull you aside and say he was righteous or she was virtuous, you know, isn't that weird to think that God could ever, he knows us, he knows you. It's interesting because I, I think, to, honestly, you can try hard to be righteous or just or virtuous. You can do your best, you know, but oftentimes we fall short of that. But God saw him that way. You know, I'm convinced that you become like what you hang around. You know, as human beings, we become like what we hang around. So if you're hanging around other just people, other righteous people, chances are likely you're heading in the direction of better choices. If you're hanging around uh, TV dads, TV moms, you know, the kind that, that aren't really real, the kind that make us look foolish, that, that kind of guy. If you're hanging out with that for too long, then, well, you might be kind of like one of them. Are you a virtuous dad? See, because godly dads, what they do, really great dads put God first. Really, really good gods, really good dads put God 
first in their friends, in their time, in their talents. Really put God first in their time, talents, and treasures. Really good dads put God first in their finances, in their friends. Really good dads say, you first, God. Hmm. How are you doing with that? Number two, number two. Not only do great dads put God first, but number two, great dads cover their families. Great dads cover their families. Now listen, there's a difference between covering and hiding. Right? Hiding is a secret. Hiding is something that's not good and it's unfair, it's unhealthy. This isn't, this isn't covering. Covering is when you cover with health to protect and to guard. Hiding is a whole different story. That's not what I'm talking about. Great dads cover their families. Great dads know when the enemy's around and they do their best to cover and protect and, and, and watch them. Great, great dads do that. Now, in me saying that, I know that there are some of us today who, who, who didn't cover well or who weren't covered well. And, and that just throws up all kinds of emotions. And I'll tell you that, 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 again, it's not too late. God can heal. God can restore. I had two dads bail out on me. And I can tell you that I wasn't covered well. But God showed up and healed me and, 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 trans, and transformed me into the man I am today. He can do that in you. Great dads cover when I was in high school, I dated a gal. Um, it was, uh, I remember she had a, a really, she was a Christian. Her family was Christian. They were wonderful people. Her, um, her dad, I'm telling you what, he, he threw me though, man, because he was different. He was different than any other guy I'd ever met. I mean, he was, he, he was, uh, he didn't swear. He didn't get angry. He was just this guy who was calm. He, 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 he did what was supposed to be done. He took his family to church. He talked godish kind of ways. I mean, I wasn't a Christian, but I went in and everybody could think I was, right? The thing about this guy that was so interesting is that he could tell I wasn't. I don't know what it was, man, but he could see right through me. I mean, I put the fake on a lot of people. I mean, I tried to drop the, the Jesus jargon, but he was like, no, no, no. He would take me to like these Christian concerts and these church services where there would be these evangelists. And I mean, I remember him, him taking us to these things and like, took me to Billy Graham. And the whole time I would see him over there quietly praying under his breath for me. Right? And so, I mean, I just remember that whole story. There was something about this guy. I remember being at their house and having dinner. And, and I'll just remember that at dinner time, um, everyone closed their eyes around the table. And I probably should have, but I didn't know any better. So I opened my eyes and I watched him pray over dinner. Let me tell you, there was something different about him because I watched him, I watched him have a conversation with God. It wasn't just like saying prayers that I memorized. It was like conversation with Jesus. I opened my eyes. I was looking at him thinking like, he really believes this stuff. Like, he, he really is having a conversation with God. And I just remember it struck me. He was an amazing man. Well, like any other, well, I was a dumb kid. For whatever it's worth, I, I ended up blowing it with his trust. I violated his trust. I, I, I did what I told him I wouldn't do, and, and, and I, I didn't do the honorable thing. And at some point, I, I broke a relationship with him. And I remember him calling me one day, and he says, Lance, we need to meet. And he was going to talk to me about this broken trust that I had had with him, and and so he sits down and he said, Lance, you know, you agreed, you didn't, you broke the trust. And as a result of that, Lance, he says this, Lance, I want you to know you are not God's best for my daughter. You're done today. I remember thinking like I was angry. And then I was embarrassed. And then I felt ashamed. I just felt kind of like, like what? I was ashamed at what I, of, of how I would let my character be flawed like that. I just remember feeling silly. But you know, for the first time in my life, I saw someone cover their family. I saw a man stand and say, not on my watch. This is what's going to take place. You are out of this scenario. I was mad. 
But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Get this, this is the crazy thing. So 30-some years later, I hadn't spoken to that man 30-some years later, right? So I often get time, get asked to speak at different churches. And there's one particular church that's a pretty large church at several thousand people. And it has six church services. I mean, this church is crazy because I I remember uh, you would go up and the worship would happen and you'd preach. And then while I was preaching at a church across town, that church, while I was preaching, was starting their worship time. And after I was done preaching, I'd walk off the back of the stage. They would put me in a car, drive me across town. Just when they were saying, in Jesus' name, amen, from that worship time, I'd go up on the platform and preach while this church on this side was singing. And then I would come back, get in the car, go back across town, and come back up and just start preaching again. I was like, ah, ah. it's like a ping pong ball, man. And I'm like, ah. it's an amazing church, but I was just like, I was crazy, right? And this one particular time, man, I'm, I'm, I'm delivering the groceries, man. I'm preaching. I'm feeling happy about what's going on, right? I don't know how much service it was in, but their room was full of people, and I'm just preaching away. And way back in the corner, I see a couple. A couple who's a little older than I remember them. But it was this old girlfriend's mom and dad sitting in the back of the church. And I'm thinking to myself, let me tell you something will throw a preacher faster than that. I don't know what it is. But I was preaching away, and then I got nothing. And I was like... I don't anything, man. So, I mean, I'm doing my best. I finish up the church service, amen. And I look off the stage, and there's a dude there going like, come on, man, we gotta go. And I look at him, and I say, give me a minute. And so I remember walking back, made my way back to them, and I don't know what words were spoken. I don't know anything at all. All I know is I looked at them, and they both went, <laughs> well, looked at me like, what happened to you, right? And, and I just remember looking at them, and there were tears coming down her face, and I remember they just hugged me. I probably lasted six, seven seconds. I don't know how long it was. And I just, we, I don't even know what was said. All it was, we just hugged and I walked out of the room. And you know what I experienced that day? I experienced a father who 30 years before covered his family and that covering affected me. It helped change the trajectory of my life because I'd never lost sight of that. And as I had daughters and sons, I knew that I would cover my, my family because I'd seen it before. And I just want you to know, maybe you're here today and you did get covered or, or you weren't covered. Joseph was one who covered his family. He was a just man. He covered his wife. Hmm. Let me tell you number three, characteristic of a great dad. Honors God first, covers his family. Number three, great dads love when it's really hard. Great dads love when it's really hard. It says in, in Matthew 1.19, Joseph, her fiance, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as to not disgrace her publicly. Joseph loved his wife. Joseph loved Mary, I'm telling you. In fact, look at what it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient, kind, not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. Love doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It doesn't keep record of wrongs when it's been wronged. Love never is glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever there's truth. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. If there's one person that showed us what love is, it's Joseph. Joseph showed us love. Joseph showed us selfless love. We look back on Joseph with, with eyes that knew the whole story. This is just Joseph who, who, who one day was living his life, doing what he had to do, and one day just gets hit by a ton of bricks right in the solar plexus. Joseph having to figure this whole thing out. Great dads love when it's really hard. Great dads walk 
upright when it's really dark. Hmm. It's amazing to me that Joseph, Joseph loved Mary when it was really hard. You know, it seemed like Joseph had no other options because in Joseph's world back in those days when you were betrothed, he only had two options. Either divorce her quietly or put her in front of the community and have them stone her to death. And that's the only options he had. And being a just man, knowing what the righteous requirements of the law were, he knew that he was pinned into a corner. Put her away quietly or put her in front of the community to kill her. Because if you put her away quietly, at some point, someone somewhere is going to see some little baby running around, right? And, if he, divor- and if, he, if he decides to have her stoned, then she gets absolutely all the shame put on her neck for something like this. Now, it's, you know, I love this. Great dads, like Joseph, great dads. Great dads love when it's really hard. You know, let me tell you this, where it looked like there was no way, God made a way. Where it looked like there was no way for Joseph, God made a way. I don't know where you are in your life right now, whether as a father or a mother or a sister or a son, whatever. Let me tell you this, where you feel like you're backed into a corner in that relationship. You feel like there's no way out of that job situation. You feel like there's no way at all you're going to make it through the dealing of that thing. You feel like there's always going to be a reason to hold on to the pain of the past because there's no way out of it. And you feel like there's just no way. Let me tell you this, with God there is always a way. He always makes a way. That's who Jesus is. He always makes a way when it seems to be no way. And if that's you here today, and that's the only message you hear today, I want you to know God can make a way where there is no way. And I want you to understand something. When Joseph decided to to, to say yes to this thing, when when Joseph, remember it says that he heard about this and and then he said yes to this, right? You know, let, let me tell you this. I don't think we realize this. It dawned on me, though, as I was studying this week, something different about Joseph. Joseph to say yes, because when God made a way, God's ways aren't easy. God's ways are right, but they're not easy. So when Joseph said yes to God's way, when Joseph said yes to God's way, I don't think we realize what it is he said yes to. See, for Joseph to say yes to to, to walking this day out as Jesus' stepfather, you know what he was agreeing to? He was agreeing to take on all of the shame that would have gone on to Mary. You know the shame I'm talking about, right? You're unfaithful. You, you should be stoned. You have an illegitimate child. All of that shame was going to be placed upon him. How do I know that? Because everybody and their brother would have thought, you know, it was all the dude's fault. He must have snuck over there one night. They would have never thought for one minute that it was her problem. They would have thought it was all him. He took all of her shame. How do I know that? How do I know he took all of her shame? Well, it kind of showed up in their life. It wasn't long after that that there was this census that was going to be taken and all of the family of David was supposed to show back up over in, well, this little place called Bethlehem. You know the story, right? All of them were going. All the city of David, all of those guys get themselves all the way over to Bethlehem because they're going to have a a census. They're going to count all the people. Let me give you the translation of that. All of the people who were in the bloodline of David went to Bethlehem. Big fat family reunion. That's all it was. A bunch of people that knew each other all show up together. It was the David family reunion. They all knew each other. Let me tell you who didn't get to go with everyone else. Joseph. Joseph and Mary, who was at this time obviously pregnant. They show up to the big family reunion. You know what happened to them? No room in the hot tub. No room in the family. There was no room, you bloodline guy. Trust me, they knew people. It wasn't like we think, like there was just some sort of a hotel guy wondering like, yeah, there's room, there's no room. They're a family. And they all said, there's no room for you, even if there may have been room. There's no room for you. Joseph took upon all of that because good dads love when it's hard. Good dads love when it's difficult. Good dads walk it out. 
Let me tell you this. You may be in a difficult situation. You may be in a hard time. I'm telling you what, good dads walk it out. The character of one who does that will walk it out. Hmm. Characteristics of a great dad. Honor God first. Cover their families. Love when it's hard. Number four, great dads face dark nights boldly. Great dads face dark nights boldly. They face dark nights boldly. They walk through difficult times. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. As Joseph considered or pondered this, he fell asleep. As Joseph considered this, he fell asleep. In verse 19, he hears that his fiance is pregnant. And in verse 20, he's pondering what to do. Right after that, the angel shows up in a dream. Somewhere between verses 19 and 20, all hell broke loose. Because you know what it's like between 19 your fiancé, right? Your, your fiancé, the one that you love, the one that you're married, you're, you're betrothed to, that moment, right? Between verses 19 and 20, when you start to ponder on what to do, let me tell you this, it may have taken a, a minute, it may have taken an hour, it may have taken a day, it may have taken a week. But I don't care how much time passed on the clock, it was an eternity. Between verses 19 and 20, between seeing the problem and trying to figure out what to do. Great dads love when it's dark and hard. Let me tell you this right now. Some of you today are in the middle of your own verses 19 and 20. Some of you find yourself in the middle of your own 19 and 20. You're in the middle of an announcement of something difficult and you're having to face this thing and you're you're, you're dealing with the issues of how am I going to make this thing through problem and solution. I'm going to try to come up with this thing. How am I going to figure this thing out over and over again? Let me tell you this. There was a miracle that happened that day, that day, that very day. There was a miracle that happened we never talk about in the Bible. You know what the miracle was? That Joseph fell asleep. Come on. When was the last time you had a verse 19 and 20 that you actually got any sleep? He fell asleep with, without Ambien. He fell asleep because you know who talks loudest between verses 19 and 20? The enemy. The enemy talks loud between 19 and 20. He yells and says, you're a fool, you're crazy. You know what, the only way out is for you to do your own thing because you've got to protect number one. 19 and 20, the enemy's yelling, you know, look what you did, look what you said. If you only, you have to look out for your, I mean, all the time, verses 19 and 20, they're pathetic, it's hard. You know who speaks most softly between 19 and 20? The Holy Spirit, his still, small voice. Here's something you've got to remember. The devil is always urgent. God is always peaceful. So when you ever have a voice come to you that's urgent, you have to, you have to, you have to. It's not God. God's never urgent. He's never surprised. He's never shocked. He's never, you've got to get it done. That's how the devil works. God's never urgent like that. He's calm. How do I know that? Because he kind of knows everything. He's never shocked. God never says, oh yeah. He knows. God's peaceful. The devil always shows up urgent between verses 19 and 20. And you might be in the middle of one of those right now. And you want to find peace. You want to find some semblance of, of something in your life that just makes sense. And so you're trying to force stuff. You're trying to make things happen. You're trying to figure out how to, how to get through this dark time. Whatever that dark time is. Maybe it's the loss of a spouse. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's an overlooked promotion. Maybe it's a, a scenario that you find yourself in that you thought you would never be in. And you're just trying to figure out a way out of this thing. And all you can come up with is your own conclusions on how to do this thing. And you feel like there's no way. And you find yourself between 19 and 20 filled with worry and fear and anxiety. Matt, if that's you here today, I'm so glad you're here. 
I'm glad you're here because they have an answer for you. The answer is trusting Jesus and getting back to the Holy Spirit and saying, God, help me. Help me navigate these waters. Between 19 and 20, I'll just tell you this. Go find a friend. Go tell somebody. Go get some help because you can't do it alone. Because oftentimes, the Bible says, my sheep who know me hear my voice. But between 19 and 20, everyone's voice sounds like God's. And you just get confused. But when you find somebody who knows God, they're going to be peaceful. They're going to say this or this. Make a decision. Hmm. Great dads face darkness boldly. Characteristics of a great dad. Honor God first. They cover God. They cover their families well. They love them when it's hard. Great dads face dark nights boldly. And number five, great dads get up and do the next right thing. Great dads get up. Great dads don't lay there. Great dads get up. They don't just lay there. See, the thing I love about Joseph is that the Bible says he got up and did what the angel of the Lord told him to do. Translation, he just got up and did the next right thing. You know the thing I love about this? is It doesn't say Joseph laid in bed and groveled. Joseph just laid there and said, it's not fair. Joseph just laid there and threw his fist at heaven and said, how could you? I was a virtuous man. I did right things. And how could you do this? Because all Joseph knows is that there's this, this beautiful, loving thing that he's about to see happen. And now it's all wrong. Joseph got up and did the next right thing. Joseph got up and just did what was right in front of him to do. Joseph got up and did what, 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 what the angel of the Lord told him to do. He said, get up and go. And so he went up and went. Some of you have been laying down for a long time. Some of you have been hanging out in the darkest night of your soul and you're sitting there and you're mad and you're crossing your arms and you say, I'm just not fair. The truth is, let me just tell you this right now. It is not fair. It will never be fair. This planet Earth, let me tell you this, not fair. Whatever you're in, I agree with you, it's not fair. It'll never be fair. It's not fair. It'll never be fair. Whatever you got, and if you're human and you breathe and blink, it's not fair. You need to get up. But Lance, you don't understand. You're right, I don't. Because the Bible says every heart knows its own pain. I don't understand. But I can tell you, laying there and complaining and saying it's not going to happen, it's not going to work. It's not going to help. The Bible says that Joseph got up. He didn't have to get up and figure it out. Joseph didn't have to get up and come up with a plan. Joseph didn't have to get up and set goals. Joseph didn't have to get up and pull out his wallet. Joseph didn't have to do any of that stuff. Joseph just had to get up. And do the next right thing. Some of you are feeling like now that, 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 that the dark night of your soul, that the difficult situation was a, a broken relationship or something that you didn't count on that happened to you or, or whatever it was. And you, the, the pain that showed up in your life and you feel like you just want to sit there and lay in it. And, and I'm telling you to get up and you don't know what to do next. Let me tell you what the next right thing might look like. The next right thing might just be that you just talk to God and say, I don't know how, but I want to do what you want me to do. And forgive. Maybe the next right thing is for you to write a letter. Maybe for you the next right thing is just to go back to work even though you didn't get the promotion. Maybe the next right thing for you isn't to complain that you didn't get the phone call or you didn't get off the hook or the decision didn't go your way. The next right thing is getting up and doing what God puts in front of you. Now, I, now here's the funny thing about this. I, I'm probably using a little liberty here, but I'll just tell you this. There's something about Joseph that, as I look at him, and again, I, I know 
that I could be running a risk of giving a little too much liberty. But, but I'll tell you this. There's something about Joseph that I think if, if it's true that the role of a father is one of the most powerful positions on the planet, then I have to believe that Joseph's role in Jesus' life must have had some impact. I just have to. Right? We, we don't see Joseph at the cross with, with Mary. We don't see Joseph when, when Jesus was being beaten. We, we don't really know much about Joseph after this moment except when Jesus was a teenager, for just a brief moment. But, but we, we, historians tell us that he may have died early, early on in Jesus' life, and he didn't show up at that wedding. You know the wedding I'm talking about. You see, there's something about Joseph that I think he told Jesus. I think he just lived life in front of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Joseph had a plan in life, and his plan was to marry this young lady, and then something came in and changed his plan. You ever had your plans get changed on you? You ever get your hands get changed, your plan gets changed on you, and you just think, like, I didn't plan this. I didn't intend to get cancer. I didn't intend to have to deal with the situation. I didn't intend for this divorce to happen. You find yourself just in the middle of this thing going, I didn't plan this, God. That was, that was Joseph. Well, you see, I, I got a funny feeling that when that kind of thing happened in Jesus' life, he acted like his dad. Oh, here's what I mean. Remember that wedding I was talking about a minute ago? It was this wedding in Cana of Galilee. This was before Jesus did miracles. This was like Jesus and Mary show up, mom and son, to this wedding. We don't know whose wedding it was. We don't even know if it was, it was probably a family member, but it was Jesus and Mary showing up to this wedding. That's all we know. And so as Jesus and Mary show up to this wedding, the, the master of ceremonies say, um, Mary, there, there's, there's no more wine. Now in that culture, if you had no more wine, you're, you're admitting to you not being able to provide, and the culture was kind of crazy like that, and you just were a failure as a a master, a dad, a host, or whatever it was. And so Mary, loving this particular family, says to Jesus, says to her son, who had not done any miracles yet, says to her son, do something like any good mom would do. Right? Her son says, I don't know, fix it. Jesus had a plan. His plan was to go to a wedding with his mom and just watch his friends get married. His mom says, fix it. So he has to change from that. And he says, okay. And he changed his plan. He looked at some people and said, go get some jars of water. They got him. He turned them into wine. Oh, there was another time Jesus had a plan. Jesus' plan was to mourn the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was his cousin. Remember that? They're about the same age. John the Baptist had been beheaded. It was a horrible situation for Jesus. It was his, it was his family. And so Jesus was trying to mourn the loss of his cousin. And so Jesus grabbed his disciples, all 12 of them, puts them in a boat, and he says, guys, listen. This is hard for me. I'm dealing with the loss of my, my family. I'm dealing with the loss of my, my, my cousin. Will you go with me across the Sea of Galilee just to mourn there? I don't know if you remember that story, but he gets in a boat, travels across the Sea of Galilee just to mourn and spend time with his father and some of his friends. He had a plan. His plan was just to go over there and heal up. But when he landed on the shore over there, 5,000 of his other friends showed up to meet him. Jesus had a plan that got changed. Jesus had a plan that got thwarted. Jesus had a plan that went in another direction. And you know what Jesus did? He did the next right thing. He looks at his disciples and says, guys, we got to fix this. What do you got? Anybody got any food? And they solved the problem. Jesus did the next right thing. I, I don't know. God probably told him how to do it. But the truth of the matter is, I got a funny feeling he might have thought about Joseph, a stepdad who spoke life into him. 
He did the next right thing. See, you might be here today and you're just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to sign up. I don't know how to do this. Maybe the next right thing to you is just to go talk to a friend. Maybe the next right thing for you is literally to, to, to go and say, I'm going to start serving at church. Or the next right thing is to say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to take a step that's going to be in faith and I'm going to just step out in it. You've been living confused and frustrated and, and, and right now the next right thing might just be to take a step. What does God have for you? godly character. Joseph was an amazing man. Joseph was one who I, as I read about him, I want to be more like. I got a feeling that Joseph's influence over Jesus influenced me and you. he He was amazing. Today God wants to bring healing in your life. God wants to bring hope and restoration to who you are. So will you join me as we close our time up today and pray? God, thank you for, thank you for you. We just want to say, first of all, happy Father's Day to you. God, we love you. God, today in a room this size with all these people and maybe even some who are watching us online, Lord, we just pray today that you would be peaceful as you always are. God, I pray that you would help us to to find the healing that only you can bring. I pray today that you would help us to to run to you when the dark nights show up and to come to you in the middle of our verses 19 and 20 and to cry out to you when it seems like the night's never going to end. Lord, I pray that we would use Joseph as an example to say, I just want to be like you, Jesus. I pray you bring healing and hope and restoration to the hearts of many of these people and these dads. In Jesus' name, amen.